You're listening to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, episode 56. Hello and welcome to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life, but also the great views and experiences along the way. Do you drive in the fast lane like my wife, or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear? You only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! What's crack-a-lacking podcast world? Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 56. Cinquenta y seis. Ah! On today's episode, we have a special guest with us. Haven't done a guest here in a little while due to the storms and whatnot. And our guest today is Miss Brittany Wagner from Netflix's show Last Chance You, which in short, and Brittany will probably talk some about it, is a show in which um, football players... Uh, and specifically in that show, are at a junior college for their kind of second chance, a lot of them in life. Some of them start out there in their journey, but a lot of them come there on their second chance. Brittany uh, played a pivotal role in the show, was the academic counselor for the student-athletes. Um, a couple of neat things that I think we'll talk about, very small town in Mississippi, uh, I think a little over 600 um, residents, permanent residents in that area. And I, I was watching the show from one of our good friends, Green Paul, told us about it. And I was watching it. I was really enthused with Brittany's character on the show. And I was like, man, uh, not character herself. I was like, my gosh, she would be a perfect fit for our audience. Um, and we reached out to her. And kind of surprisingly, not going to lie, she said yes. So without uh, further ado, we're going to kick it over to Brittany and welcome you to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, well, I think most people know me from Last Chance You. Two seasons of filming that for Netflix. Um, I actually worked in college athletics for 15 years, six prior to filming, the at, six of them at East Mississippi before filming the two for the show. So eight years total at East Mississippi, but um, had, had some experience before that at, at all levels. I was in the SEC for a while. And then also what used to be called Division One AA for those of us that are over 40, maybe we remember it being called that. Um, but yeah, and then um, after the show, I just felt like I had a platform to do something else. So I left and started my own company and kind of went out on my own. Um, just felt the kind of urge to really reach as many people as I could and felt like that wasn't going to happen in Scuba, Mississippi. So went out on my own, moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And um, yeah, I guess my company now is I probably should know this, but I don't, which should tells you a little bit about me. I'm not caught up in uh, my ego and statistics, but I think the company's three years old now, um, maybe four, but I've lived in Birmingham for three years. So super excited that we're still going and I was recording this podcast and I have a couple more um, that I'm going to be recording next week. And just thinking about the fact that grateful that people are still asking me to be on radio shows and podcasts five years later. I mean, that's really amazing, especially in a time where, you know, our attention span is five seconds. (laughs) 
I just, the fact that people still know who I am and remember me and want to hear what I have to say is I'm super grateful for that. Well, we are excited to have you today. And I think that you, um, and through your own work, you motivate and inspire people. So I think what you've done for the, the kids on the show, but also what you continue to do really ties in with what we do. Um, and before we delve a little more into that, we're going to kick it over here to Johnny Boy for the Would You Rather. So we play a little weekly segment of Would You Rather. It has nothing really, uh, I don't know what he's asking, nor does Craig over here, but it has nothing to do actually with the show. It's just kind of a fun little warm up for you. So John, what you got, bub? Yeah, we got a nice little icebreaker. And I got this one from um, one of my nieces this morning, actually. I had two nieces that I saw today. I gave them both a shot at it, and I chose the one that I thought was most appropriate to bring out today. So I'm just going to okay. come out hot and give it to you and let me know what you think. Would All you right. rather have your diary published or a movie made of your most embarrassing moments? A movie made of my most embarrassing moments. Oh, that was pretty quick and decisive. Yeah, there must be something yeah. going on there. <laughs> I want my innermost thoughts shared. <laughs> okay, how about you, Cece? I'm with Brittany. I'm going to go with publish uh, the most embarrassing moments. Having a movie made out of it. I think that would be a good show. I want to know what Cece's embarrassing moments are, dude. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of got... wondering what they would hey, be, wait, too. That's a different episode. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I guess I've got moments, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. Like she said, your most intimate thoughts being published. Oh, man. No, thank you. <laughs> okay. My dog, what you got? If it was my journals with biblical and or quotes from people, you know, my notepads? Yep, the notepads. I'd, I'd be totally fine. If it was like a pure diary of my deep thoughts, no. But if it was my notepads, I'll take the notepads. I'll let the world see the notepads. That's fine. Okay. Well, I, I guess... I want your embarrassing moments, man. <laughs> Well, I was going to I was going to say without a doubt I would go with the most embarrassing moments unless they included nudity um, then I would <laughs> I would have to cut that out. That's just how well, it, it would have to be. Probably his fair share of those somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks Abby. I appreciate your input for that and uh, I've got another one from another niece that's going to be coming out down the road too, so. Okay. Awesome. Good work. Okay, well, yeah, we appreciate that, Abby, and look forward to hearing from the other one down the road with the other niece. Um, Brittany, I think a cool spot to start out for us would be how you wound up in such a little place, um, like Scuba, and I know you told us a little bit of your background, what you've done, but how did you wind up? How did that door open up for you? Were you from there or new people there? How did you wind up in that area? No, I mean, I've lived in Mississippi my whole life. Um, but I honestly had no idea that scuba existed. Like, I I mean, I lived in Mississippi my whole life. And when they when I got the call, I, I was like, what, where, <laughs> who? Um, but I was in Starkville, Mississippi, which Starkville is actually only about 45 minutes down the road from scuba, 45 minutes to an hour. And I was in Starkville working at Mississippi State and um, got the call from the president of East Mississippi who just said, look, we're trying to build build a powerhouse program here. We've just hired this new coach. Uh, we know the piece that we're, we're going to be missing is the academic side. We, we understand that getting these players eligible to transfer to the next level is the, the key to having a winning program. And um, we think you're the person to build this program from the ground up. And I initially was like, no, 
you know, I mean, I'm working in the SEC, I, I, you know, charter flights to Madison Square Garden with the basketball team, and you want me to move where and do what? Like, you have lost your mind. And then um, <laughs> I thought about it for a minute, and, you know, I, I really was struggling. I love Mississippi State, but I was struggling with wondering if I was making an impact at all. I was kind of the lowest man on the totem pole in our office. Um, I was the disciplinarian. I was the liaison between professors and coaches and students. So I was kind of the person that was always getting on to the students for everything that they did wrong. I was the tutor and study hall coordinator. So I was hiring and firing tutors and managing that whole, I was managing a lot of adults, but I wasn't necessarily impacting the students or I didn't feel like I was. And so, um, and that was really where my heart was and where my passion was. And so when I had to kind of check myself and think, okay, wait a minute, time out. Like, why did you get in this profession? Is it really for the title and the big school and the charter flights? Or was it really to make a difference? Um, and in that thought process, I realized that I would really kind of be a fraud if I didn't take the job and see what I could do. And then I fell in love. I mean, I, I fell in love with the junior college athlete. I fell in love with that, with the impact I was making with just the whole thing um, blew me away. So once I got there, I really didn't expect to be there very long. I thought, well, I'll go, I'll build the program. I'll be there about three years. Got that on my resume. I'll, I'll shoot back to the SEC in a higher, you know, in a higher position. And, um, and then I was there for eight years. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah it was, it's very apparent that, you know, you were in it trying to make a difference in those athletes' lives. Uh, when and where would you say that desire stemmed from? You know, I think, I, think, I think I have to attribute some of it to just being from Mississippi and being from a state where people, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have very much. And um, growing up and seeing that and understanding that everyone didn't, wasn't raised the way that I was raised and everyone didn't have what I had and it didn't mean that they were less than me. It just meant that, you know, they didn't have, they weren't given the same opportunities. I think I just was raised with that mindset. Um, my parents instilled that in me from a very young age to be aware of other people and, and be aware of what you have and be ground. You know, life isn't all about me. And um, I, my mom was a special ed teacher. So I was always around students with, disabilities and who had just had it harder than everyone else. And I think I was aware of that from a very young age that, look, I was fortunate to be healthy and to be born into what I was born into family wise. And um, I was fortunate to live in a community. I grew up in Clinton, Mississippi, which I think is a fantastic community to raise a child. And, um, but I, you know, my parents just did a fantastic job of, telling me to look around, you know, and not forcing me to do it, not making me feel guilty for what I had or what I earned, but just, just always kind of challenging me to think about the other side of the tracks. Way to go, mom and dad. Woo. Yeah, totally lucked out. <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome that you, you're giving them the credit there. Uh, and apparently they had a, a big and probably still do impact in your life, which I think is pretty neat. And I would couple what John was saying a little bit that I noticed you really 
in the show didn't hold uh, the kids past against them, what, where they had come from, what they had done, maybe their indiscretions at other schools, along with a true belief in them to really treat them. We're big believers uh, in treating people like we'd want to be treated. And I think that that's a pretty good deal. It's hard for, I think, us as human beings to not hold something against somebody and to have like a true belief that you can achieve, do whatever you want. What about some of that? Can you speak to, to that um, part of how you were really, I believe, instrumental in those uh, young adults' lives? Yeah, you know, I, I think I learned about how to not hold their past against them the hard way um, early on in my career. I think, I think some of that comes with confidence. When you're an academic counselor or when you're in that type of a role, I think it comes with confidence in yourself and your ability to do your job well. Um, I had an athlete when I was first starting out at East Mississippi, probably my first or second year there, who was a five-star recruit. He was a fantastic player. He was recruited by everybody. He went to a local university in Mississippi and didn't last very long, got kicked out of that institution. And he was coming to East Mississippi. And I, I was on the internet, you know, I was reading everything about him because he was going to be a super high profile player and we, we didn't really have that yet. And then I'm, I called the school that kicked him out and I said, you know, look, tell me about him. Well, I, they kicked him out. So they're not going to have really anything positive to say. And that counselor just started blasting him. And it was just, you know, look, he's, he's got anger management issues. He hates women. He hates white people. Don't be in a room alone with him. He's not going to do anything you say. He's, and I was writing it down, you know, like it was valuable information. And by the time that kid actually showed up in my office, I hated him and I was terrified of him. I mean, I, I just was like, Ugh, I don't like you. I don't want you in here. I'm scared. My whole body would tense up when he would walk in, like he was going to hit me or something. I don't know what I just, and, and I, I failed him. I mean, I, I didn't, he could read the energy in the room when he walked in. He knew I didn't like him. He could tell from my face and the way that I treated him. And, um, and he failed, he, you know, he, he got kicked out of our institution too. And I just wonder if I had had him a couple years later when I was a different counselor, what, where he would have gone, like what his life would have looked like. But I recognized in that, in that scenario, that it did not benefit me to know what he had done or to call the school and hear it, it benefited. It didn't benefit me, my ability to help him. And if I would have just accepted the person that walked in the door rather than the information that I had Googled about him, I would have been way more effective in helping him. I think, you know, if, if you, if you allow people to sit down in a safe space, they'll tell you their story. And most of the time, they'll tell you the truth. Like, <laughs> they just will. But, he, but allowing them to tell it in their own safe space and in their own safe way allows a trust and a relationship. And that is what allows change. For me to have all the information that I think I know and then to judge and then try to force a relationship and try to force change. It doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And, um, I think he taught me a valuable lesson. I haven't talked to him since I haven't seen him since, but you know, I talk about him all the time and I hope at some point he's heard an interview where he said like, that was me. Um, but he taught me a valuable lesson and it is, you know, to meet people where they are and, 
Um, I made a, a rule, I, and I take it now when I speak to teachers and counselors all over the country, when I'm giving my speech, one of my rules in my speech is never Google, and never Google a player. You know, and, and by that, I mean, like, like, you don't need all the background information on somebody. Meet them where they are, see them for who they are, and go from there. Um, and you'll be way more effective at creating change in their life. Well, one of the notes that I wrote down whenever I was uh, watching the show is, um, yeah, you know, it was obvious to me that, you know, you had a tangible desire for the athletes to succeed and improve and to move on to doing better things than they had done in the past. So that was something that was really um, apparent whenever I watched it. And I think that's probably why you have so much success uh, with the athletes that you did come in contact with. And then also seeing the people uh, who you're dealing with now who see that genuine concern and want uh, for, and desire for people to succeed just in general. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of people. I, look, I, I had all the support and love and resources and help that I ever could have asked for. And I was mediocre. I mean, <laughs> really, like, like I went to college with a U-Haul. I had two educated parents with, with master's and doctorate degrees. I had the computer and all of the resources that I needed to be successful in college. And I performed at a mediocre level. I was scared to death. I never asked for help. I, you know, suffered my way through. I didn't push myself. I just, and, and so I think about that all the time. If I was scared to walk in a classroom where most people looked like me and came from the same background that I came from, then can, what would it be like? to walk in a classroom where no one looks like you, no one came from where you came from, you're not prepared to be there, you don't have support, you don't have resources. I mean, it's terrifying, it has to be. And so I just, I thought, you know what, at the very least, I may not have a clue what I'm doing as an academic counselor, but at the very least, if I can just instill some belief and self-confidence in them, they'll be better for having been here. If that's the least, the, 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 you know, the only thing I accomplished, then at least they're leaving here feeling like they belonged. And that was important to me that everybody felt like they belonged. Because when you don't feel accepted, and you don't feel like you belonged, I don't, you're not going to perform at your highest level. And so did I believe in every one of them? No, like, I no, I didn't. I mean, and that's the truth. Like there were some athletes that would walk in and I would look at, you know, all of the, all of the, all of who they were or all of what I had in front of me. And I would think, no, like you're not ever playing D1 or you're not ever, you know, like I just, I would, I would think these thoughts in my head, but it just wasn't my place to kill the dream. Like I, I would still look them in the eye and say, I believe in you. You know, do I believe, did I believe in their dream that they had for themselves. I don't, you know, but I still believe in them. I mean, so I just, um, yeah, I just thought at the very least I can give them that. Hey, Brittany, you actually kind of answered a lot of the thoughts I was going to ask you. Um, you know, we all came from good families and had a good upbringing and it's easy to kind of go to school and do what you do and, and look outside and see people that aren't necessarily doing or behaving the way that you would. And you're like, man, why don't they just do it this way? Or, you know, not knowing where they come came from or, or their background, not really putting yourself in their shoes to know where they're at. And you just can't understand why 
this athlete who has all these gifts and talents and is definitely going to be NBA bound. I mean, NFL bound or whatever NBA bound would flush it away with making poor decisions on drugs or alcohol. And it's like, why'd they give it up? You know? And so in your experience, when you've worked with these students, um, you know, you went into it going, I had this life this way and you're, you're trying to see where they're at, but what kind of emotions and experiences were these kids carrying, um, to make them, I mean, I guess the upbringings were just wild. And I, I mean, just to kind of put yourself in their shoes and try to start with, like you said, meet them where they're at. What were those experiences like and what you were seeing and how would you even crack that egg a little bit to get them to trust you? Um, you know, yeah, a lot of their upbringings are wild. And I, you know, I think, look, all of us have, have issues. Like I, I had, like, I'm still in therapy, you know, <laughs> like, so, I, you know, I think, I think we all have something and some of us maybe aren't being honest about it, but we all got something. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I remember my dad, my dad's a psychologist, but he's kind of a, he's kind of like me. He's kind of a no nonsense psychologist, you know, I guess you could say. And I remember him one time saying like to saying like, look, if, if it was as easy as just like not eating people that wanted to lose weight, if it was really about the food and as easy as them just not eating, then we wouldn't have a billion dollar diet industry over here. Like it's not, it's not about the food, you know, obesity is not about the food. Alcoholism is not about the alcohol. And so I think I came into the job with that awareness that look, failing a drug test, that wasn't a decision that he made. Like it wasn't a, you know, I mean, and, and I, I think we see, we think that. And sometimes I think it, you know, you see it at the bottom of the ESPN ticker, somebody failed a drug test, which, you know, hint, violation of team rules, is that means somebody failed a drug test. We just don't want to be honest about that. But so anytime somebody has violated team rules, ch chances are they have failed some kind of drug test. But, but I, I, you know, I used to think like, golly, how, you know, you're going to be drug tested. Like, seriously, like, how can you make that decision? But then you start to hear these kids stories and, you know, the fact that, that they, their parents smoked their whole life right beside them on the couch, you know? And so at eight years old, they're sitting on the couch and what are they learning as a coping mechanism for stress? Pot. Well, I mean, you know, and I have to look in the mirror sometimes. I had an athlete tell me one time I, um, he was a quarterback actually from, um, from Port Sulphur, Louisiana, which was wiped off the map, I think, during Hurricane Katrina, and he ended up going to Bastrop. And he was uh, the winningest quarterback, you know, like in the history of whatever at Bastrop High School, and never lost a game, was it Louisiana State High School Player of the Year. And he ended up coming to scuba, didn't have his grades, but he was also a mess. And he looked me in the eye one time, he, he had graduated from East Mississippi, he was a quarterback in the SEC, and I worked with him, the rest of his career. So even when he went to the SEC institution, I would still go once a month and meet with him, meet with coaches. And I still was kind of his counselor for the, for the rest of his career. And I, he had failed a drug test. And so uh, Coach Nutt had called me and, and I drove up there and, and I'm in the car in, the, in an eatery, like a parking lot of a restaurant, because I'm going to take him to get dinner. And I'm just fuming. I can't, I, I'm trying so hard not to just bite his head off what are you thinking and he looked at me and he we had a really good relationship um but he looked at me and he said miss wagner 
when you are stressed and you go home at night, do you drink a glass of wine? And I was like, yep. And he said, <laughs> you drink wine, I smoke pot. We're both coping. We're coping with stress and with anxiety and with like not being able to deal. And he said, so it's like until somebody stops and teaches me how to deal with this stress of being a quarterback in the SEC and how to deal with the stress that is my life with not having a dollar and not knowing what I'm doing and, and everyone pulling at me and everyone judging me until someone stops and teaches me how to deal with that. I'm going to smoke pot. I don't know how to handle this any other way. And that, I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks because I thought, you know, we all have that. Like, and we're so quick to judge when it's not our own issue. You know, <laughs> we're so quick to judge that somebody's, somebody's numbing with drugs while we're numbing with food or while we're numbing with shopping or while we're numbing with whatever we're numbing with. But the bottom of the bottom line is we're all. And so, you know, I think again, it's an athlete that taught me that. Um, and so I just, you know, I just tried again to, to step back and look at, okay, what's the backstory? Like, where did you come from? What do you, what have you experienced in your life? What's the trauma? Um, and a lot of times they would tell me, um, or I would recognize patterns. So I documented everything. Um, and I would just document if somebody got kicked out of a class, you know, I would just write it down like Tuesday, nine 30 math male teacher kicked out and I would just document. And then I would go back and look at the documentation. I mean, much like a doctor, you go back and you look at all the documentation and then it hits you like the pattern hits you of, Oh my gosh, it's always math. Okay. It's a math, you know, what happened in childhood with math or, Oh my gosh, it's always a male professor. What happened with a, don't just document the patterns until I would find something if they didn't tell me. But a lot of times the relationship would be there and they would end up telling me their story. And just in getting the bits and pieces of their stories, I could put it, I could put two and two together. Yeah, that makes total sense and really neat. Some investigative happenings over there. Yeah. You know, Brittany, I'm sitting here, um, watch the show, all the, I think I've even, I've made it past um, the first two seasons into the art schools, but I was really, again, drawn to to y'all show and what you did on the show. And you seem like a really humble, you mentioned early in this thing, your ego does not get in the way of yourself. Um, you seem the exact same as I'm talking to you here, has watched you on the show. How can you maybe speak to our listeners about that? We all have great opportunities. The Lord opens doors for us in life, but you really seem to be very authentic, still yourself, haven't let any of this go. I mean, you literally, like you said, you've gone from the SEC to a town of 600 school, small junior college school, a lot of <laughs> uh, problem solving going on over there to then boom, this show comes on. It's all over Netflix. It's been all over the place. You've elevated yourself, I would say somewhat in your career. I don't know how you wanted to find that in a way, but to still remain true to being who you are, which I think is hard for people, some people to do, but you seem to be handling that pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, look, again, I think it comes, goes back to understanding that I didn't create this. Like this, this was not a, this is not because of Brittany Wagner. Like none of this is, I mean, I was born on second base. I didn't hit a double. Like I didn't even earn that. I mean, my grandparents earned that for me. Like I, I was just born into it. So I can't, 
I can't even really claim that. Um, you know, the show, I, I look, I think that show has gone on without me. I mean, it's, you know, you can argue maybe it's not as good. I don't know. I mean, but, but, <laughs> I'll argue that for you. <laughs> it's gone on without me. And, and the reality is that life will go on without all of us. I mean, none of us are that important to any, any family, any job, any community that life won't go on without us. And so I, you know, none of this has happened because of being bigger than me. Um, people before me that set the stage and then, like, it's just, it, you know, chance, luck, gen genuineness, vulnerability. I mean, I think there's just a mix of things that have put all this in motion. A very, 1% of it has been Brittany Wagner's doing. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't take credit for that. I don't, you know, someone said something like, you know, you deserve, I'm glad you're getting what you deserve one day to me. And I, I just kind of had to stop and I said, look, I, I don't want what I deserve. I mean, this is way beyond what I deserve. Like, I don't, I don't ever want what I deserve because life would be not so great if I was getting what I deserve. Um, I, I don't, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I mean, this is just, it, it's something way bigger than me. Um, I'm grateful for it, but I don't, I don't know that I've earned it, you know, really. Um, I think too that, I think part of my big belief system is that there's enough for everybody. When I start to get competitive, when I start to think like, well, why, why is that person, why do they get to have a higher speaking fee than I do? Or why, why, you know, why do they have more podcast downloads than I did? When I start to get competitive like that, I have to, I stop and I'll just say to my, there's enough for everybody, Brittany. There's enough for everybody. Like, well, why, why are you trying to take it all, like it's okay. You can be good and somebody else can be good and somebody else can be good. And it, the good is not gonna run out. So stop, try, you know, and I think that's in our society, like we, we're just so ego driven and power. Everybody wants the power and the, and the praise and the, you know, why does it matter? Like there's enough for everybody to have a little bit of it. And so just, who cares like who gets the credit if it gets done if it gets done who cares who gets the credit and so i, I you know look i have to remind myself of that on a daily basis like check your ego girl you know <laughs> check your ego um and 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 look if and here's the funny thing god's funny i mean god is really funny because if i if i don't check my ego myself oh he'll check it for me like I, I mean, it'll get checked one way or the other. So, so it's a much easier road for me if I just check it first, because the longer that I, I go down that road of egotism, I mean, the check is bigger, you know, like the brick is bigger. So I, yeah, I try to check myself before I have to deal with what, what God has in store. <laughs> <laughs> So Brittany, um, it's kind of funny you said that we would have lunches and we talk about life and our shortcomings and our failures. And it's like, Hey, let's share this with everybody so that they can see that we're going through the same things they are. And we numb life with Craigaritas that I make, and, you know, <laughs> for margaritas and, uh, made by Craig. And with, with the, with the, <laughs> with the, with the goal of putting it out there and hopefully helping people. And so 
that's what you've done. You've kind of transitioned from this, uh, the role you had in, in your position to helping large groups of people. So how did that transition go? Like, how are you, what are, what are kind of, uh, the things you're doing these days to help organizations and individuals sort of look at their life and maybe, um, help them overcome those shortcomings and those, those pasts to see a, a light and a, and a better purpose for themselves. How's, uh, this new, uh, Brittany, the, the new career, how's that all working out? Yeah, it's working out really great. Um, I love it. So I work with, I do well before COVID, <laughs> I did a lot of live speaking events. So I would, and a lot of it was teachers, counselors, educators. Um, but I would do big conferences or I would go to colleges, high schools. Um, and we, we you know, we pivoted with the rest of the world. And so I've done a lot of virtual stuff and it's really been kind of cool i mean i I just did a speaking engagement a couple weeks ago with with a place of business in ireland like an organization in ireland i mean i never would have been able to do that if covid hadn't hit so i've just been able to see the silver lining through all of this like i've just half a glass full there you go yeah like had some amazing amazing zoom things with with people I never ever would have probably been able to do it with had had we not been in this situation so that's been awesome um and then I work with I do work with schools individually or organizations individually right now um I'm actually working with a organization in South Florida um that I just took on a new contract with them not too long ago and and they deal with inner city youth in South Florida they had kind of like an after school program for them but they they wanted to kind of take it to the next level and and so they hired me and I got to go and meet them all and kind of see the space and now we're implementing programming they had their first day of programming yesterday where they sat down and they sent me pictures this morning and I was so excited but so they have the athletes this week are learning um January and February is life skills month so they'll learn life skill, different life skills every week. So this week they're learning about how to manage a calendar and how to manage their time and to see them all get pictures of all of them yesterday, like actually filling out a planner. And I just was like, Oh, this is so great. But, um, so I do that a lot with organizations and schools, just help them to better understand and better work with that at risk athlete. Um, and then I also just wrote a book. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah. Um, it's nuts, but I wrote a book. Um, it's in the publisher's hands. It's going through editing with the publisher right now, but it'll come out. I believe the sell date is September 14th, 2021. Um, hopefully. So I'm super excited about that. It's, it's honestly just, um, it's a self-help book really, but using myself and the athletes that I've worked with as examples. So I take stories from last chance you and stories from other athletes I've worked with and then my own personal struggles and stories. And I compilated them into kind of a, a book about, look, we're all on our, on our next chance. Like, you know, that, that, that notion of last chance has really started to drive me crazy (laughs) because I just, you know, anybody should be on their last chance. Like, I think it's, it's next chance. You know, we're all waking up on a second chance and on our next chance. And so the book is really about waking up and showing up every day for that next chance and just bettering yourself no matter what, every single day. Um, I'm really proud of it because I did not have a ghostwriter. I wrote it myself, which I mean, good for you. That's awesome. 
ever I would be able to write a book ever. Like I can barely write an email correctly. So <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that I just pumped out an 11 chapter book is again, quite the miracle, but I really love it. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, it's just been, it's been fun and the opportunities and the, you know, the people that I've been able to meet and, um, and then those people impact my life and change my life. So yeah, it's just been amazing for sure. One other little question before we get to our main question at the end, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about our, um, do you have a pencil happenings? With the kids, I know you would ask them that, and that is kind of taking a little life of its own, uh, yeah. which I think is pretty cool because you, I, I got on the show where literally just say, like, do you have a pencil? Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Um, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I said it, honestly, until I watched the show, and then I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so annoying with the pencil. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, uh, and I do talk about this in my book, but the truth is that you know, I had, we had an athlete show up one time from Miami and, you know, we were junior college, so we didn't fly them in. I mean, they, we, we got him a bus ticket, you know? And so this kid yep. had been on this Greyhound bus for 24 hours from Miami to Meridian, Mississippi. And he, once we got him, they didn't really, it's not, it's not D1. So it's not like they, we pay to fly him home every time there's a break. I mean, he was going to be there for two years and our coaches go pick him up and he gets off the bus and coach is like, where's your stuff? And he has a backpack and he said, everything I own is in this backpack. And he wow. had two pairs of clothes and a toothbrush and that was it. And, and I, you know, and he may have been the first with me, but the truth was it was most of our athletes. I mean, most of our athletes came to college with very little, like two pairs of clothes and a toothbrush. And, and, and we were 40 miles away from the nearest Walmart. Most of them didn't have a car. Some of them may have driven a car there, but then never had money again to put gas in it. So it just sat. So if that's the situation that we're in, if we're coming to college backpack, we don't have a car, we're 40 miles from Walmart and we don't have a dollar, how exactly are we going to get a pencil? I just, you know, like I, and I think there's so many of us, like so many, I don't know, educators or that think we're up here profession you're in, people up here that think they're up there that would just have the attitude of how are you in college without a pencil? Like, that's absurd. Get out of my class. You should at the very least have a pencil. You know, I mean, that's just our attitude. Um, you should at very least have a mask. You should at very least have, you know, a, a, a stamp to mail your bill. I mean, it's just, that's our attitude of this pretentious, like you should, you should, you should. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, like we've, brought these kids here, we've promised them a future, we've given them an athletic scholarship, and now they, like, we're gonna send, they don't even have a pencil? Like, we would never send them on the field without cleats or without a helmet. How in the world are we okay with ourselves sending them in a classroom without a pencil and then, then beating them up for it? Like, literally calling them out, embarrassing them and beating them up for it. This is absurd. And so I 
went to the Dollar General and bought about $30 of pencils. And I just thought, you know what? We're going to walk into class with a pencil. Everybody that I work with is at least going to have a pencil and a piece of paper. And that's just it. That's period. And I did, were, you know, and was it the same guy? Like, did they lose the pencil and break the pencil and come in every single day to get a pencil? Yep. I don't care. <laughs> I didn't care. Like, I mean, just have a pencil, like at least walk in with the bare minimum. And so that's kind of where that started. And then I would walk the halls and I would, you know, if I saw an athlete walking in with nothing, you know, do you have a pencil? Do you have a pencil? Um, but it was kind of annoying on the show. But then that just became, the fans took that and ran with it. I mean, and it became like the, a hashtag on Twitter and like a whole thing with the pencil lady and so I took, <laughs> I took it and ran with it, um, flies, I think, on on the show. And so I just, I, I claimed it. I claimed the pencil and claimed the hashtag and ran with it. Um, my company is 10,000 Pencils, um, a little bit taken from Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours of Effort. Um, so I, yeah. And I actually, I have, I still have them there. You can't see them from here, but... Uh, so I had over 4,000 pencils mailed to me from all over the world. And yeah, so I still have a box. Um, I still have tons. I mean, I don't know how you get rid of 4,000 pencils, but (laughs) I take everywhere I go, I carry a pencil, like in my purse. I mean, if I'm going to dinner, I'll just have a pencil in my purse because somebody's going to ask me like, and it never fails in an airport. Somebody will just walk by me and go like, Hey, do you have a pencil? And keep walking, you know, and I'll turn around and be like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> sure do. In your sure face. do. <laughs> you <all want? laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it really started from just it being a resource, like providing the resource for these kids to be successful in the opportunity. Which I think sums you up well. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, we – we call something an opportunity to pat ourselves on the back so that we can then say like, well, we gave you the opportunity, you know, but you screwed it up. You failed, but we gave you the opportunity. Um, But in my opinion, it's not an opportunity is not an opportunity. If you're not going to provide the resources necessary to be successful. Absolutely. I looked at that and thought, if I'm, if we're not going to provide these kids with a pencil, then we're not really giving them a fair opportunity. Very cool. And I think it came from a genuine place and look at it now. <laughs> the only thing is I really wanted a pencil deal. Like I wanted to, uh... like, you know, like I wanted to, the ego, ego, but I wanted to be like <laughs> a spokesperson for like Ticonderoga pencils or like whatever yeah. the company, number two pencil. And I, I even at one point ha- asked my agent to reach out to Lee Corso because he is like, oh, yeah. I don't know. And I was like, call Lee Corso. Like he surely he's seen the show. They've talked about it on game day. Like I want to be the spokesperson for his pencil company. And he didn't call us back. <laughs> <laughs> it may be coming. Hey, throw the line out there. You yeah, never know what will happen. <laughs> Uh, it's good stuff. Well, hey, look, before we uh, kind of close it down here, we ask all of our guests, we've asked it to ourselves, et cetera. The, our podcast, as you know, is called Who's Driving Your Car? So we're going to ask you who or what is driving your car. That could be the proverbial car that drives your life. could be 
free will, God, the pandemic, in our case over here, we've been dealing with the hurricanes. It could be anything, um, child, your job, could be, I think we've had stuff like a sense of urgency, a lot of different, we've had a lot of things over the time. Is there something that would pop to your mind of what might be driving or who might be driving your car? Hey, that's so deep. I don't know that. Um, I think today my daughter drives my car. Um, single mom, female daughter, you know, I gotta, gotta, I'm raising a mini me. And I just, there's just so much awareness of like what I'm teaching her. Um, really confidence wise. Like I want her to believe in herself and to be confident and to like really to not check any box, like to not check any label. <laughs> don't, don't label yourself as a, a girl, you know, because you're a girl, you, you know, you can't do this. You can't do this. And I, I just, I want her to go out into the world with the complete belief that she can do anything she wants to do if she will work for it. I want her to understand that she has to work for it. Like it's no one's going to give you anything. You're, you're, there's no magic wand. Mama's not going to save you to work for it. But if you're willing to do that, there is nothing that you cannot do. And I, I just, I want to show her that every day, like that, that, you know, that's what's out there for her. So I think today, you know, she's driving me. I think honestly, when I was uh, doing the show and, and, and before she was born, I, the athletes drove me. I mean, just the awareness of like where they came from and how important it was to show them something better. Um, I think that drove me like just to show them a dream to let them understand that they're capable of having a dream. And um, I think that drove me every single day because it was not easy. And, and the athletes were awesome. The adults that I had to work with were not. And, and, and it, was, it was hard. I mean, it was a hard job. It was challenging to walk in there every day and be motivated to be good and to be my best. But that's what motivated me. That, that, mindset of like, look, I, I can't, I have to be a hundred percent every day for them, for these guys. I have to show them that, um, they can do this. And so that was what drove me then for sure. Awesome. I think it's a great answer, even though we went, we went a little deep with our question. Over I, know. Here. <laughs> I, I feel like we need to end with a, like something funny or something. <laughs> Let's, why don't you tell people where they can, um, I know you have a website and some happenings where they can find and learn more about you. Um, I have a website, brittanywagner.com. And probably, I mean, if you want like annoying motivational quotes every day, then you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I, hey, I'm all about that life. Yeah. I my story is just nothing but quotes. Um, and I keep it going 24-7. It never stops, but it's just quotes. Um, so my Instagram is Brittany underscore MS girl, MS from Mississippi. And then my Twitter's the same, Brittany underscore MS girl um on Twitter as well. And um I have a Facebook fan page that is pretty active, but it's there. <laughs> um, but probably Instagram and Twitter are the 
the um, social media sites that I'm the most active on, I guess, is, is what you could say. Yeah. And you can buy my book in September. Yeah. For real. I think Can't that wait. book's going to be awesome. Hopefully, uh, COVID will be gone and I can actually go on a book tour and, and meet people all over. But either way, the book is good. So We appreciate you joining us today. I'm glad we got to end it on a high note with some laughs. <laughs> and, uh, it was getting way I really appreciate you. Agreeing to come along for the ride with us. It's been a uh, it's been a cool experience and I knew I figured it was gonna be pretty good. So we're all appreciative of you and we'll be looking out for you and uh, everyone I'd implore you to check out the book when it comes out. I can't see it not being good. Yeah. And until next time, we'll catch y'all later. I Hey y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing, sun is shining, nothing more. Sing